Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. Yeah, it's already Wednesday. We have an incredible show for you today. And in fact, when you hear who my guest is, you probably want to get your notepad out and pencil and be ready to take notes. We've got so much to cover. But a couple of things first. Don't forget, Dr. David Jeremiah and friends, it's a free live event at Talking Stick Arena, March 3rd. Now, you know Dr. Jeremiah is coming in for our pastor's luncheon that we do for free for pastors next week. But then March 3rd, he's coming to town, and it's going to be at what I know as the Purple Palace. I don't know what it's being, you know, it's it's now officially Talking Stick Arena, but I know it as America West Arena still, you know. Anyway, uh, Charles Billingsley is going to be leading worship. And listen to this. Michael W. Smith is the musical guest, Dr. David Jeremiah, and it's all free. But you must get tickets. And then, of course, you got to be there. Now, to get tickets, go to davidjeremiah.org forward slash standup. It's the standup tour, davidjeremiah.org forward slash standup. Don't wait till the, you know, Phoenix, they wait till the last two weeks. Tickets may be gone. The place is not, you know, in infinity. There's there's only so many thousand people that can fit in there. You don't want to miss out. Also, there is a movie coming at the end of the month or towards the end of the month that I've been looking forward to seeing personally. Now, let's be honest. Last couple of years, we've had some hits and misses, right, with uh, what were purported to be Christian movies. I messed up on one. I bought the hype, and I apologize for Noah over and over and over again. Uh, this isn't that. I've heard from really good people, but let's go see it together. And then you can tell me what you think of it. That's the way I would like for you to handle this. Risen, we're going to do a special screening on the 16th. Again, it's free to you, but you've got to get tickets. And then you'll need to show up early because we have a lot of people that want to see this movie. I'm very excited about it. Clavius, a a powerful Roman military tribune, and his aide Lucius, are tasked with solving the mystery of what happened to Jesus in the weeks following the crucifixion in order to disprove the rumors of a risen Messiah. And I know the players in this, and like I said, it's, well, it's going to be good, but let's find out together just how good it is. February 16th, get your tickets, faithtalk1360.com. Click on Station Events. They're on the Events tab, and you'll be able to get your free tickets. All right. We're uh, moving into the meat of the program. Uh, Kathy Herod joining me, and we're going to try to make, you know, last year we we kind of tried to make it a regular thing. It just didn't quite work out. I'm so honored that you're here today. I can't even imagine what your task list or your schedule looks like during legislative season, but Kathy, welcome back. Well, thank you, Tom. Glad to be with you today. Center for Arizona Policy. Um I was just telling you uh, right before we started that uh, KPXQ is going to be celebrating our 20th anniversary this October. Congratulations. And, you know, you know exactly how long 20 is, right? <laughs> yes, we did that last year. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, OK, maybe I'll steal some ideas from you. But real quickly, for somebody that's just maybe moved here, 
they don't know who Center for Arizona Policy is. Give us a, a 30-second thumbnail. Well, we're advocates for families. We are at the state capitol. We're a public policy organization, and we're basically advocating for foundational principles for life, marriage and family, religious freedom. So we're your advocates at the state capitol. And they are very important to the process. We've got a lot to talk about. We're going to do that as Koinonia continues. You're listening to Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Tom Brown. She is Kathy Herod. And if you have Kathy Herod and an opportunity to talk, you want to get as much in as possible. Fortunately, when Kathy and I get together, we can almost get three hours in an hour. Because <laughs> so I talk fast. You talk really, really <laughs> fast. And I can still understand everything you're saying. That's awesome. Everybody has really been asking me, uh, you know, Christian, non-Christian. I mean, this is this is something that I am just kind of astounded that came up, but I think there may be a hidden agenda. Uh, and it's actually, you know, some of it's happening at 2.30 this afternoon. The city council, you know, inviting uh, a satanic group to lead the invocation, to open their uh, session, and wow. Right. And I mean, I don't, what else do you say but Wow. Well, and this is City of Phoenix, um, and so a few points to make. First, I can't say enough about the leadership of four councilmen, Saad DeSisio, Jim Waring, Michael Nowakowski, and Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. So remember those four names yes, because indeed. those are the four councilmen who are standing against this. Um, the agenda here is to basically stop invocations at city council meetings by having this be so controversial. Right. Um Last year, just as recently as last year, the United States Supreme Court in the Greece v. Galloway case ruled that invocations at public meetings like city council meetings was constitutional. Um, Greece v. Galloway was about a town council meeting in New York State. I believe it was New York State. So we know that this is constitutional, that city councils can do invocations. Um, Hopefully the council will have a reasonable policy. They can do a policy. Um, one, one example that I would give is the Arizona State Legislature, the Arizona House of Representatives in particular, how they handle invocations is each member gets to basically um, at, invite someone to do the invocation or to do the invocation themselves. So a while back, um, there is a state legislator who professes to be an atheist. Mm-hmm. And so he used some, you may remember this, so he used his time for an invocation to basically give his secular humanism, you know, type of talk. Right. Okay, so he had the right to do that. So I think one of the city, Phoenix City Council members who oppose the satanic prayer you know, they, they are interested, I think, in doing a policy that would be more along those lines where each council member is able to invite someone to do the invocation, and, and that would be a reasonable policy. Um, and, you know, the the issue that we get into sometimes with this is um, the First Amendment guarantees the freedom to believe for all. Mm-hmm. So you have to be careful. This right. isn't – it's a more complicated legal area that um, – so those who are, say, of an evangelical Christian faith who don't think that um, maybe – a Mormon 
or someone else should be allowed to give a prayer or a Buddhist even. Well, for us to have our right to exercise our religious beliefs means that others that we have profound theological disagreements with also have a right to give, um, you know, to, to follow their religious beliefs. You know, of course, this is, you know, quite different. And let me just say, you know, once again, this issue shows who you vote for at every level of government matters. Right. So who you vote for mayor, who you vote for your own city councilman, who, you, you know, we used to say who you vote for dog catcher. Right. We don't vote for dog catchers anymore, but, you know, but every office matters because something like this crops up and it impacts religious freedom. It impacts police and people are outraged. You and I have had this conversation privately and on the air. Every Christian should be registered to vote, informed and casting a ballot. Absolutely. And telling, it, it, I, and you know what? I don't even care who you vote for, as long as you are voting your faith. Uh, I, I trust in the process that uh, some common sense will rise to the top if people of faith will participate in the process. And I've even seen just recently that people, because of what's going on at the federal level with the the presidential election, are saying, you know what? It's just too dirty for me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna step out. You have to vote your values, and you know I. I likened it that for those of us who are believing Christians, we know that we will stand before a holy God someday mm-hmm. and be accountable for how we have lived this this journey, lived this life, and that includes what kind of citizenships citizen we've been in this great country, and so um, a key part of that is you know, being an active citizen, voting our values. Right. And this election year, you know, it's trite, and we probably don't want to get on this rabbit, rabbit trail, but it's trite to say that this most, may be the most important election of our lifetime, but it may well be because of what's at stake with a presidential election. But just know it starts at the city council level. It starts at your school board level. If you're concerned about what's going on in the public schools, if you're concerned about a satanic prayer possibility at your local city council, then engage. You know, who are you voting for? Don't skip those elections. What city council elections, if it's a 20% turnout, that's a good turnout mm-hmm. of the registered voters? That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. This last November, it was, it was just it's crazy. And uh, Alan Sears from Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, Jordan Lawrence, others that we've had conversations with, that, you know, the uh, the all-out effort that the liberal left is trying to put legislatively through and legally through you know, ultimately it's going to come back because, you know, really if you start restricting speech in some areas, you're going to cause trouble for your own side once it it, it, it manifests. This is an example. But if, if it's – like you said, if it's each council member uh, invites their own, then it puts the quote-unquote political pressure of their decision on them. And who is worried about votes and political pressure? Yeah, elected officials. Exactly. And somehow the mayor of Phoenix, Greg Stanton, has allowed this. Yeah. And I, so I, and he hardly I had don't op- get it. and he had minimal opposition in the last election. Um, he's also done, you know, done a number of other moves that I believe that many people of faith would be concerned about. Right. I'll leave it at that. Yep, so. that's a very very well stated. And uh, <laughs> you can keep up with all the information at azpolicy.org because there is a lot going on. Uh, you told me about something that uh, I don't know if it's absolutely news breaking, but for our radio station here today, it is uh, with the Supreme Court. Some good news. Yes. Um, today, 450 state legislators from across the country filed what is called an amicus brief in the United States Supreme Court. 
the United States Supreme Court next, I believe it's next month, will hear um, the case from Texas on abortion regulation. You may recall the name Wendy Davis Mm -hmm. and a filibuster over a Texas pro-life law where she wore, I think, pink tennis shoes and did a long filibuster, a special session in June. That Texas law was basically to ensure basic health and safety standards for abortion clinics and to require an abortion doctor to have admitting privileges at a local hospital. Why is this important? We know that women are injured. They are harmed when they're inside of an abortion clinic having an abortion. They're sent to emergency rooms. You need to make sure that the doctor has admitting privileges and can have continuity of care to take care of the women. Many abortion doctors traditionally have not had admitting privileges at hospitals. So this, the Texas law was challenged by the abortion industry. It's before the United States Supreme Court. And how the court rules on this could threaten abortion regulation in all the states. So um, 39 state legislators signed on to this brief along with over 400 of their colleagues around the country. The brief was drafted by um, our colleagues and friends at Americans United for Life and Bioethics Defense Fund. Nick Nickus actually lives in Arizona. He heads Bioethics Defense Fund. And so they are representing the interest of legislators to be able to regulate um, in the abortion area. And as we've seen in Arizona, when we, again, when we vote, when we pray for good government, we elect pro-life legislators, we pass pro-life laws, we actually see lives being saved by the abortion rate going down and women being spared the harms of abortion and being given life-saving alternatives both, both for themselves and for their preborn children. It's important uh, to be aware of the issues, but knowing that there is a uh, a consensus across many states, this is kind of unprecedented to get this kind of participation in any issue uh, yes. like this. I cannot recall a, a situation where there have been 450 state legislators that sign on to one amicus brief asking the Supreme Court basically to let us do our jobs, let us you know, use the authority that we, we are given under the Constitution to regulate the issue of abortion. And this, this could be a really breakthrough case. We're very hopeful. It's something to pray about. But um, we certainly um, see a need you know, for two for that what we just celebrated forty three years of legalized abortion, and for I would say the first half of the pro life movement, um, we we weren't able to do a lot of these things. We and but this is where we've had cases that allow the state to regulate, and I I'm not going to be up on my statistics, but some in the last two or three years, it's well over two hundred different pro life laws that have passed in the states, maybe even close to three hundred, to basically ensure. Safety and health standards for women. We know when women are protected, when they're given alternatives, more will choose life and not abortion. And so rather than abortion be this sacred cow, to use Mm -hmm. that phrase, like it was for so long, where you can't touch it, you can't regulate it, you can't give women basic informed consent information, so much of that has changed in the last few years. And it's just critical that the Supreme Court not stop that process. Kathy Herod from Center for Arizona Policy, my guest today on Koinonia. How is this? I don't want to get too far in the weeds here, but I do want to get a little bit uh, more finite. The whole concept of the Supreme Court giving or taking away states' ability to govern. Uh, You know, we've got several issues, and it's like they can't figure out what they really want to do. If they like the issue, they want to hold it. If they don't like the issue, they want to push it back on the states. Well, it is um, a very 
um, challenging area of the law um, on whether the U.S. Supreme Court is making law or interpreting the law, certainly on last year's Obergefell decision on marriage that basically stopped the states from being able to define marriage as only the union of one man and one woman. There's really no constitutional principle that allowed the court to do that, that the states should, the states should, still should be able to define marriage as only the union of one man and one woman. So um, that, you know, there, there is, there is a um, concern about an out of control judiciary. There's no question about that. And that once again, it's why the presidential election is so critical right. because the next president will elect, will, will be appointing as many as three or four yeah, justices yeah. to the United States Supreme Court, and then the U.S. Senate will have to confirm those justices. Those elections are absolutely critical this year. And that isn't even coming up from the media, the mainstream media. They're not covering that issue at all. Why do you think that is? Well, I think they will. I think um, I think portions of the media are, are too um, focused on trying to promote their favorite candidate and yeah, give as much airtime as possible, even for those who think Fox News is wonderful. Fox News has done more to promote certain candidates, in my opinion, than yeah. I mean, I've been astounded at how much um, one candidate in particular has been on Fox News. And that's a candidate that I have questions about who they would appoint to the Supreme Court. Right. And <laughs> this isn't uh, this stuff isn't easy, but it's important. Absolutely. And that's the reason uh, that we are going to talk just a little bit about some of the resources that are available at azpolicy.org and just some of the other things that, uh, well, go on in our state that Center for Arizona Policy is there fighting for our rights and is always present. You're listening to Koinonia. This is Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Kathy Herod from Center for Arizona Policy is my guest, and um, boy, <laughs> if we only had something to talk about, Kathy, right? Oh, right. <laughs> you know, uh, I mentioned uh, one of the things. I there's no way we can cover everything that you guys do, so I try to direct people back to azpolicy.org. Uh, in the last couple of years, that has just become a go-to resource for anybody in the state that wants to know what's going on that affects faith and family. Uh, one of the things that I really love that you do, and I don't know how you guys find the time to do it, but the uh, five minutes for families that you send out every uh, every Friday, right. and this last one in particular uh, had a lot of people asking me about it. You know, uh, it, the topic has come up, and I'm not sure how to to really cover it overall because I just I, it's one of those head scratchers. How does uh, an investigative reporter? get indicted for doing his job is what it really comes down to, uh, and the law-breaking target of his investigation gets a pass. Exactly. Well, and, of course, David Delayden with the Center for Medical Progress did incredible investigative work exposing Planned Parenthood's barbaric practices and basically selling aborted baby parts, um, fetal tissue, as a commodity to be sold and traded on the open market. I mean, shocked people. Um, you know, things that we always thought 
we thought it was going on, Mm -hmm. but the proof. And, of course, who can forget um, some of the video that we saw where, oh, it's a boy, but it's okay, or is this an intact liver, or is it an intact brain, and this is worth more? Or the woman saying, well, let's sell, and and I can get a Lamborghini, and she kind of laughs. You know, I mean, we were horrified by what was going on. So David Daleiden, of course, to many of us, is a hero for having the courage um, what a two and a half or three and a half year project, very um, de- you know carefully planned. Certainly had legal input on what he was doing, and so in Harris County, Houston, Texas, um, the Planned Parenthood Gulf Coast is one of the ones that that was he was um, doing the undercover work with the investigative journalism, and the grand jury was tasked with in- investigating whether Planned Parenthood had broken the law by offering to sell and um, these body the aborted baby body parts. And instead of the grand jury indicting Planned Parenthood, they cleared Planned Parenthood of wrongdoing and indicted David Daleiden. And, and here's the, the thing that's so frustrating. The, Arizona, the Texas law um, said that you have to have—he basically had no criminal intent, but that you have to offer to buy the aborted baby body parts or the fetal tissue— David Delighton in those videos never made an offer to buy. He was inquiring. He certainly had no intent to make a purchase, to, to complete a sale. And so that what should concern all Americans is the abuse of the grand jury process and how a rogue prosecutor can go get a grand jury to basically indict anybody for anything. I mean, that those right. who are very concerned about grand juries, this is going to be example number one of what's wrong with the grand jury process. Uh, overreach is a concern of mine. I've, we see it more and more mm-hmm. in the last eight years, to be quite frank, that it's it's gotten really scary. Uh, you know, when Alan Sears' fictional book came out, I don't know, what was it, eight, nine, ten years ago, mm-hmm. it was uh, scary fiction. Now it's scary reality. Yes. It, we've seen it a lot. Uh I think it was one of the defense attorneys. We know that if there was a buyer, there had to be a seller, you know, just kind of putting that as an, oh, by the way, like, you know, but it's common sense like that, uh, common sense stuff like that, that really appalls me as to how that can still be, uh, you know, uh, promulgated in the media or how everybody's, it's a complete uh, separation of truth an agenda in the media. And the media used to be a place where you would go for truth, whether you agreed with it or not. That's right. And uh, this is, you know, the the challenge of the video still that I see is that um, how, because the mainstream media has had what's really equivalent to a blackout on not discussing the videos and exposing Planned Parenthood, um, I mean, not maybe a total blackout, but certainly it's not been in the news like it should have been. And the people who still think that Planned Parenthood is doing a humanitarian work or is working for the common good of the culture or society, well, this should show once again that it's all about profit. It's all about promoting abortion. And and here's a critical thing to know. If someone tries to tell you, oh, well, this aborted tissue could be used for research and it might help to, it might help to heal other people's diseases, and so maybe there's an ends justifies the means, no. Um, aborted baby body parts, fetal tissue is not producing research that shows promise. It's adult stem cell research that continues to show the promise. We do not need to take aborted baby body parts. We need to show dignity to the preborn child and and not have it to where their body parts are sold and that somehow there's good that can come out of an abortion. No, there is no good that can come out of an abortion. And that was the argument 10 years ago that we need these uh, uh, stem cell for research and then 
pretty quickly the science proved no, adult, adult stem cell research is being successful and no one's harmed right. in that process. So whether it's an embryonic stem cell research with an embryo or whether it's an aborted baby, it's still the same. We do not need to use those you know, cell, stem cells or, or body parts from, the, from any kind of preborn child for any research purpose, whether it's through an abortion or through some type of emb- embryonic stem cell research. Now, I mentioned that this came out in the Five Minutes for Families from Center for Arizona Policy last week. Let's talk about some of the resources available at azpolicy.org. Well, please go to the website, go to AZ Policy, and sign up for our Five Minutes for Families. If maybe you're just hearing about us for the first time, um, sign up. It's a Friday. It's a quick minute, It's a quick five-minute read most of the time, and it's also a way to, to find out what's going on. Um, if you sign up for our list, we may send you an occasional action alert. Um, we have a prayer and praise email that goes out as well. When we have events coming up that you want to know about, you know, this is a year that we're going to have several very interesting events. So, it's it's you know make make time to um to check out azpolicy.org if you're on Facebook um like our Facebook page and um, we post things regularly on that um of course we have just passed um the abortion anniversary of Roe versus Wade we had 21 days of prayer um there was a prayer guide Wonderful put night. out by the Colson Center that That's was on our wonderful. Facebook page every day so um you know each one of us can do something to take part in what's going on in the culture and to stand for what's right and so if you're if maybe you're not doing much now just start small Get five minutes for families and take it from there. Now, I didn't vet this ahead of time, so if you don't want to do this, I completely get it. But uh, personal question, Center for Arizona Policy, Kathy Herod, you've been the president there now how long? Um, I'm uh, 10 years. Okay, so here's the question. I pick up the New Times, you know, last year they had, you know, some of the most outrageous stuff. Uh, There's so many... Uh, you know, Lori Roberts, uh, I get to call names because I don't have, I'm a talk show host, right? Uh, you know, she basically called you evil. Uh, and that goes on and on and on. How do you deal with that? How does that, I mean, you know, we're off policy, we're off. This is about you and, and God and what God's called you to. Well, and that's what that's what it comes down to, that I, I just finished 10 years as CAP president. I'm in my 20th year at Center for Arizona Policy, and I've been in the movement for close to 30 years now. And so this, after being a wife and a mother, I consider this to be my life's calling, mm-hmm. that I'm passionate about what's going on. I'm, I'm concerned about the legacy, what's going to be there for our children and grandchildren, for the, the the generations to come. So I so for me this is a walk of faith. Um, my favorite proverb is 2131 that the horse is made ready for the day of battle but victory belongs to the Lord. So I believe that um the other scripture that we're to go into all the world that we're not to go into all the world but the public policy arena. So that that we have something of an obligation to um to be salt and light, to be ready. We are in a day of battle and some people don't like those terms. But when you've got the taking of preborn children's life in the womb, when you've got marriage being redefined, when you have the very right of a pastor to preach from his pulpit about biblical principles and non-discrimination, so-called non-discrimination ordinances that would block a pastor from being able to hire people who conform to a statement of faith or to decide what type of weddings would be held in their church facilities, then we can't be silent, that we have to. It is a battle. And so I believe um, that I'm called to this work, that God has given me the passion, the gifting to do this. And so but so we're going to do our part. I'm going to um, still be there doing what I believe God's called me to. But 
trust a holy God with whatever the results are. So when the insults and the attacks come and that kind of thing, I just, you know, I've learned to, um, that the Lord is my defense. Mm -hmm. So I don't respond to most of them. Um, you know, I've learned also that if I respond to a lot of them, I'm only giving more publicity to the other side. So, you know, I just, um, we're going to keep focused on what we're called to do and not, you know, a lot of that name calling and the negative publicity that comes out, it's intended to distract us from what we're supposed to be doing. Right now, there's something like 46 different bills that have been introduced in the Arizona State Capitol that we oppose, that are intended to roll back the victories, and the number's growing. It'll grow between now and next Monday. So we'll probably hit over 50 bills that we somehow oppose at the State Capitol, and they're all geared to rolling back the victories of the last few years. Well, we're not going to give attention to those bills. You know, and and the media keeps trying to to prop those up and to talk about these and stuff. Well, we're going to keep focused on getting through what we believe needs to pass this year. We'll fight those bills, but we're not going to, you know, we're not interested in the media attention. So let the media write what they're going to write. Most of it's not true. And another thing I want to add, we frequently pray for you and for Center for Arizona Policy, but you have an incredible team that also yes. is under fire a lot. They just don't, they're not wearing the mantle. No, and it's very important when we um, bring in new people that um, everybody on our team, it's a calling. They're there because they believe in that God has called them to be there. Otherwise, it is too tough. You, you know, if you know that you're doing what God's called you to, to do, there's tremendous joy and blessing in that. And we have certainly many Arizona families that support us. And so that, you know, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. And as you mentioned prayer, Prayer is the foundation of everything that we do. Yeah, and I wanted to, to highlight that with uh, I can't think of many uh, lobbying groups that start off with uh, uh, corporate prayer uh, to start the legislative session. Um, and I've seen that grow over the last several years. More and more people uh, are starting to get the idea that, yeah, this is where it all starts. Yes, on opening day, January 11th, we were there bright and early at 7 a.m. on the floor of the Arizona House, on the floor of the Arizona Senate, about 150 people, along with our friends at Bridge Builders, um, praying for our elected officials, walking around the Capitol, praying for the governor, um, that we have prayer intercessors that are, um, we try to have two people in the House Gallery, what's called the House Gallery and the Senate Gallery, every time a session starts, to simply pray for all the legislators. And you had some uh, uh, representatives there this year, We too. sure did. Or, well, you have in the past, but sure. that number is also growing, mm-hmm. and that's encouraging as well. We still have more time and more things to talk about. Yeah, I know. It's amazing, right? There's a lot going on. Kathy Herod from Center for Arizona Policy. This is Koinonia. You're listening to Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Kathy Herod, Center for Arizona Policy. We have covered a lot of ground already. We're already 40 minutes, 41 minutes through the hour. Uh, There, you talked about all the bills that are being uh, put forth at the legislature. How many bills come out in, you know, I wouldn't think, let me back up. 
there's too many bills. I don't know what the number is, but there's too many because we don't need that many new laws. If anything, we need fewer laws that are more succinctly uh, crafted. But uh, you have how many people uh, in your team that are are going through everything that the legislature puts out? We have three of us and then um, three interns. Um, So we're covering a lot of committee hearings. And what we do is, you know, there'll be between 12 and 1300 bills probably introduced. But, But then there are amendments that get introduced and there's a lot of monitoring and tracking. Right, and then they throw a line in there, like you said. Right, so we have to pretty much keep eyes and ears open. You know, we'll, we'll at least look at at least two people, if not three of us. We'll look at all the bills that are introduced to see, does this impact life, marriage, religious freedom? Does it impact the church? Um, and, and to try to be that watchman on the wall, to use that term, and to look at what's going on. You know, so we'll, we'll be monitoring a lot of different things. A lot of different other lobbyists and groups will be asking us, do we have a concern about this or that bill? So there's, there's, it's a very um, labor-intensive, on-site type of operation. And then, of course, we have our own bills. We have probably between, oh, we'll probably end up between 5 and 10 or 12 bills that we'll be um, responding to. And, you know, we try to look at it. There's a saying at the legislature, what problem is this bill solving? Mm -hmm. And so we try to make sure that the bills we're promoting, that there's a problem that needs to be solved. And that's how we're approaching it. And we're not just throwing, you know, sometimes it's proactive, trying to avoid problems, but that there's a a rational basis for what we're trying to do. I, uh, many years ago when I was contemplating running for office, uh, if God called me to do that, and I, I... an interesting thing came up. It's like, I don't know what the number would be, but if we would get much better bills, if there was a limit on the number of bills that could be introduced by any one individual, you know, they would just do a better job of crafting possible law if there was some type of restriction. And when you're saying you, uh, that's not a, a august body to be coming up with 1,200 New bills. Well, yeah, there, there's a lot of in, it's it's um yeah, there's a lot packed into that as far as you know the number of bills and what's going on. Some of them are just vehicle bills. Um, you know, there's a lot to the process. I don't want to get in the weeds too much here, but you know, I probably would not favor a limit on the number of bills per legislator because we've got legislative leaders that that you know, if you said five bills per legislator, for example, well, we have some legislators who are very capable and need to cover carry 15 to 20 bills that all are, have a problem to be solved and all have a, a mean, are meaningful for moving the state forward. So, uh, and, you know, and a lot of times it's correcting bills. I mean, for example, the, the abortion-related bills that we have this year, they're try- it, uh, every one of them so far is really addressing a, a problem from a court decision or, for example, the Planned Parenthood videos, things that have been uncovered. So it's going in and trying to, okay, where is our law not strong enough or where did a court pos- – court decision have some problem and we need to go in and fix it. Well, let's talk uh, a little nuts and bolts here. What are some uh, pieces of legislation that our listeners should know about? Okay. Well, the first one is Senate Bill 1474, um, sponsored by our friend Senator Nancy Bartow, and it is the response to what's happened with the Planned Parenthood videos. And Arizona, a number of years ago, had a law on the books that prohibited the experimentation of fetal tissue, of using aborted baby body parts for experimentation or research. Um, the infamous, I'll say it that way, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals overturned that law um, for grounds that it was vague um, and the terms weren't defined and that type of thing. So what we have done this year is coming is come in 
and basically clarified that law. And basically, um, the law is drafted to ensure that there will be no trafficking in aborted baby body parts, that for any baby body parts resulting from an abortion um, will not be used for research, for experimentation, um, will not be donated, that um, the only exceptions are for pathological forensic type of examination, um, that type of thing. But it's a it's a broad ban, and what we have said is that um, – you know, Planned Parenthood in Arizona says they're not doing fetal tissue research. They're not donating or selling baby body parts. Well, great, Planned Parenthood. Then you should not oppose this bill. That's what I yeah. – um, But we we do have 10 abortion providers in this state. Planned Parenthood, while they're the largest abortion provider, they're not the only one. So we want to ensure in this state that there's no trafficking of aborted baby body parts, and that's the intent of Senate Bill 1474. And, uh, you know, there's – obviously there's uh, disagreement – of when uh, life begins uh, with uh, uh, pro-abortion. There's so many other areas. But I think it seems like we should be able to agree on something as horrific as this. Right. Aborted babies should not be commodities. Yeah. I mean, that's... Because you're just asking for more trouble, more problems. Uh, What are some other bills and other things we need to know about? Another one is um, to a couple of years ago, the legislature passed a law on medication abortion. Um, We know that when abortion medication was approved by the Food and Drug Administration, they said it had to be administered within the first seven weeks of pregnancy. The abortion industry administers that drug through nine, even ten weeks of pregnancy. So the the effort to just force the abortion providers to conform to the FDA protocol, we had a a Maricopa County Superior Court Judge Gama ruled um, against that. Um, He had to rule on a technical part of the bill. He ruled against it. So this bill by Senator Kimberly Yee is simply to go in and fix that, again, fix the court decision and and take care of it. So there may be some other things, but at this point, that's what we're looking at on the life issue. Other issues, there'll be efforts to on the empowerment scholarship accounts on school choice to expand that program so that all students have a chance to participate in that program. There'll be um, possibly one or two religious freedom issues, um, but in a lot of ways it's it's more defensive this year, But it, except for these two life bills, especially the response to make sure that no aborted baby body parts are being trafficked in this state. Um, so that that's kind of the gist. One thing I should mention, there is one defensive issue I guess I would like to mention. And you may have seen the poll a few months ago where a majority of Arizonans supported doctor-prescribed death. Mm-hmm. Um, we call it physician-assisted suicide. I about that one, yeah. I, I just thought of it too. Um, we have an educational challenge ahead of us that when people think, okay, is it okay for a terminally ill person who has a diagnosis that they're going to die within six months, is it okay, is it permissible as a society for a doctor to prescribe medication to enable that person to commit suicide? We, of course, say no, that um, the sanctity of human life is from its very beginning to its natural, natural end, end. To a na- um, and that is really critical. And so we're not to play God. We're not to, to – there's a season to be born, a time to be born, and a time to die. Mm-hmm. And that's that's ordained and, and directed by God. And so um, we, we have a lot of education. That bill won't – I don't think it will get a hearing. I know it won't get a hearing in the legislature, but we anticipate um, efforts will grow in that regard. California Governor Jerry Brown signed the California law last year. We now have, you know, the, the left coast. Is that what it's called? We've got yes. Washington, Oregon, and California, all with having legalized physician-assisted suicide. So um, we need to really um, start to – help people to understand that 
the term palliative care, pain management. No one needs to die a horrible, um, horrific death. There is pain medication. There are ways. Hospice does an incredible job. Let's have people die a natural death, not one aided by a doctor giving you some pills to kill yourself. Yeah, that's, again, seems common sense to me. Uh, Even, uh, of course, I can't separate my faith and understanding from that, but it seems like that's uh, on the surface just an area that would be foolish for anybody to move into. We've got uh, just about five minutes, uh, and I want to make sure that you have any. It's not just me asking. But what do you want to talk about? Obviously, we got a couple of events that are coming up. But what? What? You know, five minutes with my audience. What do you want to say? Well, let me mention one of the events because I if. I think Dr. Russell Moore may be a new name for a lot of listeners. And Dr. Russell Moore heads something called the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission with the Southern Baptist Convention. You may have seen Dr. Moore. If you're on Twitter, you should follow Dr. Russell Moore because he is a frequent tweeter. Mm -hmm. Is that the right way to put it? You got it. Um, He has a book that that came out last year called Onward, Engaging the the Culture Without Losing the Gospel. And for those who are concerned about how do we stand for righteousness within this culture, how do we proclaim a sanctity of human life, what's next on the marriage front? Dr. Moore is one of the newer voices on the national stage, I would say, who really is pointing the way forward, that we don't give up, that we don't, um, that we don't just throw in the towel and say, okay, it's finished, that this country, it, we're post-Christian, we're post-modernism, whatever term we want to use. But no, we still have an obligation and opportunity to stand for the gospel and to engage the culture on these issues that matter. So in a, Dr. Russell Moore doesn't come to the West area very often. He's based out of Nashville and Washington, D.C., but he will be with us on March 17th for a luncheon. 1130 to 1 o'clock. It's on our website at azpolicy.org. And if you're going to think of of an event like that to go to, you know, a voice that you need to hear, um, that Dr. Russell Moore is one of the ones out there. I've been to two of his conferences, um, one on marriage and religious freedom and homosexuality, another on Christians and politics. And each time I come away challenged, I'm not going to say I agree 100% with everything Dr. Moore says, but he's a new voice. He's a challenging voice. He was president of Southern Seminary. He's a theologian, um, but he he gets it. And especially um, if you're, um, you may be listening, think, well, oh, um, I'd love to let my pastor know about this. Um, I will say that younger pastors all know who Dr. Russell Moore is, and they're all following him. So consider coming and inviting your pastor to come with you. One of the things that I, you know, lament is my timidity in engaging the culture with truth, because I don't always, you know, although I... Uh, you know, I've been through the Truth Project. I've I've led the Truth Project. Dr. Tackett and others have helped so much in that area. There's still a, a, there's a understanding gap for me as a 52 year old man with engaging the 20 something culture uh, mm-hmm. with truth. I know they want truth, but I you know I, I there's a and he uh, Dr. Moore is doing an incredible job of helping people like me articulate better. That's right, because even if you're just following his tweets or following on Facebook what he posts, you know, he'll he'll have pieces in the New York Times and the Washington Post. So he's getting recognized. You know, he has a voice that's being heard in the media channels that we need to have more of our point of view out there and to be persuasive. So anyway, so I would just encourage people. That's March 17th, azpolicy.org for more information. One more little shout out as the uh, uh, music for our time together is playing. Uh, it, I don't know if you're aware, but it's an election season. Oh, yeah, I think so. And 
you have set the standard for information for oh. voting your values. Uh, so you need to be signed up to get that information. And that's right. And um, the the Arizona presidential preference primary is March 22nd. You have to be registered to vote by February 22nd. If you're an independent, you have to register as a Republican or Democrat to, to vote in those primaries. All right. Kathy Herod, as always, thank you so very thank much. Thank you, Tom. azpolicy.org is uh, where you need to go. Uh, we're going to play some closing prayer music when we return. You're listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ.